Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. Who is the world's largest emitter? As some 70,000 delegates gather in Dubai to try to fix the climate crisis, one focus is, as always, on China. How much has China contributed to greenhouse gas emissions? How much responsibility should China undertake? And what is China doing in terms of curbing its carbon intensity? We looked through reports on international mainstream media and found them to be perplexing, to put it mildly. Take China's share in global emissions, for example. China may be the largest emitter currently of carbon, of greenhouse gases, but given the lifetime of CO2 that can last from a few hundred years to a few thousand of years, who is the world's cumulative largest emitter? China as a country may be the largest polluter, but divide that by 1.4 billion, are the average Chinese emitting more than their Western counterparts? It's also funny how reports hyping China's climate responsibility often come from sources critical of China in general. Has climate data been weaponized? I'd love to have the usual conversation about climate actions, but I believe without the right basic numbers, it is hard to have any factual or constructive dialogue. To help fun, find answers to these questions, I'm pleased to be joined from Dubai by Professor Zhang Li from Green Inclusive Carbon Neutrality Center at Beijing Normal University and Professor Daniel Kamen, the James and Catherine Lau Distinguished Professor of Sustainability at the University of California, Berkeley, also a former science envoy in the Obama administration. Gentlemen, welcome to The Point. So um, the focus, my focus, of course, is uh, let's get the facts right. And to do that, I think, I believe we have to get the technicality, technical question um, solved first. How long exactly does greenhouse gases such and, and primarily CO2 stay active in the atmosphere. Um, Professor Zhang, let me go to you first. Yeah, as we know, uh, CO2 uh, uh, can uh, stay in the atmosphere for a very long time. It's, uh, uh, it's a virus, but uh, uh, with, uh, in general, everybody believes it uh, can stay in the surface of Earth for a thousand years, uh, okay. but uh, we still uh, continue to create CO2, that's a, a critical problem that caused the greenhouse effect in the recent uh, hun uh, hundred years, uh, especially after the uh, industry uh, evolution. So this is a, a main cause to CO2 emission uh, sharply increased in recent years. That caused a, a problem for us. Well, I understand after looking at different sources, although the general consensus that it can be very, very long, but there is not uh, a consensus on the exact numbers, whether it is a few years to a hundred years or even to a thousand years, even more than that. According to Nature, for instance, a recent article that was published there says that uh, uh, the lifetime of fossil fuel CO2 in the atmosphere is a few centuries plus 25% that lasts essentially forever. The next time you fill your tank, reflect upon this. Professor Kamen, what is your answer to this question? And I, I believe you understand from where, um, where do I come from in asking this question? Oh, certainly. So I, I answer this both as a physicist and as a member, a coordinating lead author of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And of course, 
we shared the Nobel Peace Prize in 2007 for the scientific work, a very, very a proud moment. Um, I actually, I don't think the data has been weaponized, nor do I think those numbers are, are, are quite accurate. The Nature paper is interesting because it's talking about what's so-called the tail of the distribution. And that means what is the longest time a given molecule can stay in the atmosphere. And there's two principal molecules we're concerned with. Carbon dioxide has an atmospheric average residence time of just about 100 years. That means some molecules stay in the atmosphere less than 100 years, but there is a long tail. A few of the molecules stay longer. And carbon dioxide, produced mainly by burning fossil fuels, is our primary greenhouse gas. But quite importantly, U.S. President Biden and President Xi signed the Sunnylands Agreement in San Francisco just a week and a half ago, and an event I was that. And at that event, a very important thing happened, and that is the other greenhouse gas of, of high importance, methane, that has an, a lifetime of about 12 years, but it's a much more potent gas. Per molecule, it's, it's a bigger problem. And Xi Jinhua and Special Presidential Envoy John Kerry signed an agreement to limit methane, too. And in fact, they were on stage yesterday at the meeting here in Dubai talking about it. And the real issue there is that while the United States has a longer history of large emissions, so we are the historical leader in emissions, China today emits about twice what the U.S. does. And the forecasts going forward are that China and India and the U.S. will be the largest three emitters going See, forward. Is, and that data is quite clear. This is interesting because you put it into context. However, if you look at the media reports, um, especially the headlines, it's very simplified. It's China, the largest emitter. And, and hence, I'm asking this question because there are a lot of nuances in there. For instance, a report uh, in 2022 says that China produces about 30 percent of total emissions, more than the United States, the European Union and India. India combined. But in the same report, it also says in 1850, the UK contributed 62% of global fossil CO2 emissions. In 1891, the combined cumulative emissions of the current members of the European Union reached and subsequently surpassed the level of the UK. Since 1917, US cumulative emissions have been the largest. So over the entire period from 1850 to 2021, US cumulative emissions amounted to 24% of the world's total, the EU's 17% and China's 14%. So, Professor Zhang, how do you look at the simplification that China is the world's largest emitter? Whenever people talk about China, China is the largest emitter. But if you really look at the cumulative numbers, and we're not talking about thousands of years, we're talking about 150 years, um, people seem to omit these details. Yeah, when I was young, that's back to 30 years ago, we did not really have uh, so many vehicles uh, in, in the street in Beijing, the capital of China. But now uh, China have, a, uh, uh, well, we are the number one uh, uh, vehicle export country this year. So you can see in the past 30, 40 years, with the development of uh, an open uh, uh, policy of China, China really have a rapid development period in the past 40 years. Certainly, yes, it's uh, uh, now currently we are the uh, world largest uh, emissioner, CO2 emissioner uh, currently. But uh, in history, look back, uh, we did not really uh, have uh, so many uh, uh, CO2 emission uh, compared to other developed country in the past uh, 
decade, uh, uh, in the past, the past 100 years. Meanwhile, as you said before, we have uh, 1.4 billion people in China. Now, um, in recent two years, uh, China already, uh, uh, we, we call it, we uh, conquered the uh, poverty uh, uh, in all, all of our provinces. That means uh, all Chinese, now we reach our basic uh, livelihood standard, uh, but in average, I, I should say, uh, per capita CO2 emission for China is only about, uh, well, half of the U.S. people uh, currently, mm. and it's also less than, uh, well, uh, nearly uh, higher than EU average. So, uh, with considering the large population in China, and I believe what we are doing now is uh, trying to uh, on one hand, we still need to maintain the development of our economy mm -hmm. uh, to have our uh, people have a better livelihood. But meanwhile, we also need to reduce the CO2 emission right. during our yeah. development. This is really challenge, okay, a Professor challenge to China. Absolutely, to balance yeah. development and protection. Um, Professor Cameron, just now you talked about information or climate data not being weaponized. However, really, if you go and look at a lot of the media reports, it's overly simplified when they talk about China, the largest emitter. When they talk about China, the largest emitter. Whereas China really is not the largest emitter. And the, the emissions is not a past tense. Countries that started in the early days didn't stop emitting. They are continually emitting. Um, greenhouse gas, greenhouse gases. So, how would you say? How, how do you look at the titles we're, look, we're looking at? China, whenever when they mention the largest emitter, I think that's misleading. No, it's really not. I think you're incorrect on this one. China today is the world's largest polluter. Okay, if that people is say, not, no, if me, people finish, say, if people right. say China is current, currently I, the largest my, my emitter, right. I think that would be okay. more accurate. Let me finish my answer. Okay? Yes, go ahead. China is the largest polluter today. That is a true fact. The U.S. is the largest historic emitter. The critical issue for managing our emissions is that both countries, as well as India and the European Union, need to bring their emissions down, and they need to do it dramatically and very quickly. So by mid-century, by 2050, both countries, European Union as well, India, everyone else, have committed under the Paris Climate Agreement to bring their emissions down at least 95%. The challenge for both countries, and just to be clear, I don't think it's critical to say who is the largest emitter in 1850, because most of those CO2 molecules have left the atmosphere. The critical story is the US is the biggest historic emitter, China is the largest current emitter, and both must hold and be true to their plans to reduce emissions. Now, the United States has said, almost done, the United States has said their emissions will come down all the way close to zero by 2050, and China is saying 2060. If both countries can do what they said, we will be on a reasonable climate path. We will still see climate damage, but the real challenge is the agreements going forward, and that's why I mentioned the Sunnylands Agreement yeah. that our president signed together. I don't think the, the data is weaponized in the sense that, while it's true, you do hear people saying China is the largest current emitter. That's a factually true. But it's also the case that the U.S. and China, we are the G2. We are the largest polluters, okay. both historically and currently. And the real question is, can we green our economies fast enough?
Absolutely. Uh, Professor Cameron, can I chip in now? Uh, I think if people put that into perspective, it's absolutely clear. But if you just say China, the world's largest emitter, I think that's misleading. Maybe you have a different opinion. That's okay. And again, the, the nuance, as Professor Zhang pointed out just now, uh, if you look at it per capita level, is also very different. Uh, for instance, the World Bank's group, uh, the World Bank Group's Country Climate and Development Report for China, uh, which was published in October 2022, if if you look at the per capita CO2 emissions for China, it's nine tons. That's less than half of the United States. And that's also lower than the OECD average, which is the group of uh, developed countries in general. So, and that's, uh, um, although it's slightly higher than the EU average. So again, uh, the reason True. why I say such such uh, headline is misleading because it, it takes China as a whole, regardless of the fact there are 1.4 billion people. That's almost three, four times the population of the United States, for instance. So on the per capita level, that is still misleading, don't you think? No, I don't think it's misleading. I think b both numbers are true. The US and Canada are the highest emitters per capita. Absolutely true. Total emissions, unfortunately, is what nature cares about. And so whether we're emitting for a small or larger population, both the U.S. and China must decarbonize rapidly. The growth of solar, wind, geothermal energy, energy efficiency, the movement to electric vehicles. And right now, China and California, and California is the world's far fourth largest economy. You, uh, California and China are the world's largest installers of electric vehicles, and that's a critical step. Professor Zhang, let me go to you. What do you think of the significance of understanding the perspective to take into consideration that there are 1.4 billion people because just now you mentioned it. However, Professor Kamen just now talked about we, the Earth only cares about the country as a whole. What is your reaction? Actually, uh, I totally agree with the uh, uh, professor from California. Uh, that uh, China did well. We currently is the number one CO2 emissioner, but we can see the change of China and the actions measures China government and the China Chinese people have done in the past decade. As as we know that uh, uh, China uh, CO2 emission per unit of GDP dropped by more than 50 percent. Uh, from its level of 2005, as this is a, some numbers we all know, that means that Chinese government uh, and Chinese people did uh, try our best to uh, reduce uh, CO2 emission. Uh, meanwhile, we, we still need to develop our economy. And uh, in recent days, Chinese people also have uh, uh, another uh, effort to try to reduce personal uh, carbon emission by changing uh, behaviors. We call it green behaviors. Today, uh, in Dubai, uh, we have a, a side event uh, at the China Pavilion. We will release uh, nine group standards addressing the qualification challenges of carbon inclusive mm -hmm. action yeah. officially. Well, uh, um, so uh, yeah, I think we will address green yeah. behavior standards. Yeah. I think it is clear, um, Professor Cameron and those who maybe share your view on this, I do not bring up this topic because I'm trying to say China doesn't, China isn't responsible or China shouldn't do more than the United States. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, if you look at some of the media reports, I have the inf impression that they are trying to put the focus on China instead of uh, focusing on themselves. It's written clearly on the Paris Climate Accord, 
sustainable lifestyles and sustainable patterns of consumption and production, with developed countries' parties taking the lead, play an important role in addressing climate change. Developed countries should take the lead. Uh, every time we point, when you look at, when you put the spotlight on China as the world's largest emitter, I just think that is missing the point, Professor Cameron. And China well, is doing so, a lot. Uh, uh, Right. So I will disagree with you. I do think that it's critical for the U.S. and China to reduce emissions. And it's also true. No, what I'm, you not said is China, I'm not saying China no, shouldn't reduce emissions. You, you do keep interrupting me, but I'll just, I'll just finish. So, but I do also agree with you very clearly that what the developed countries, the industrialized nations promised at Paris, that was a minimum transfer of $100 billion a year the industrialized countries have failed to live up to their commitment and the US is in the lead in that failure because it's critical that we work together for greenhouse gas protection, the rise of electric vehicles, more green energy, efficient buildings, heat pumps, um, hydropower if sustainable, nuclear power, all of these are options. And so far, only one year, only at COP26 um, in Glasgow, did the industrialized um, countries meet their goal of 100 billion? That is really sad because those investments are not only investments in green energy around the planet, but they're also investments in partnership. And it's why I keep coming back to what I believe was the historic agreement, first that President Obama and President Xi signed in 2014 when I was serving in the US State Department to work together. And then this second historic agreement at Sunnylands where China and the US agreed that not only will we reduce our emissions, but we will triple the amount of renewable energy used worldwide through our partnerships in South America, yeah. in Africa and Asia. Okay. And it's those efforts that are critical going forward. Otherwise, we don't Absol meet the targets. Absolutely, I agree with you. But I'm saying the right approach, the right understanding is the starting point. If people keep pointing finger at China or shedding the, the spotlight on China, thinking China is the world's largest emitter, I think that is the wrong starting point. That's why probably the funds are not there, that the developed countries are not keeping their promise. But we don't have the time for further discussion on this. Many thanks to Professor Zhang Li and Professor Kamen for sharing, it, sharing with me your insights. I appreciate it. Gentlemen, mm. joining me from Dubai. We're going to take a short break and when we come back, I visited the largest uh, clean electric bus plant in North America when I had a trip to California. Uh, what it is like in that plant and how is the Chinese investment in green technology and green transport impacting local lives? Stay with us. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. <laughs> we then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. An additional General Railway Company Deutsche Bahn, the 26th United Nations Climate. Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is The Point. Zero emission vehicles on the streets of California, but made in America by a Chinese brand. I'm in the Lancaster factory, the largest electric bus manufacturer in the United States. And I'm going to talk to someone from the company, a Chinese company called BYD, to tell me all about it. 
so right now they are installed the floor vinyl uh, on the floor as as part of the assembly work. How many workers are there altogether in this factory? Uh, in this factory, we have uh, over 700 uh, employees. 700, all yes. American, locally hired. They are locally hired. Okay. Yes. So these are transit buses. How many of these do you produce every every year? Um, I would say for this factory, for this factory, the maximum um, annual production can reach to uh, 1,500 uh, buses per year. But right now, the market is not in there yet. We actually haven't actually beat that amount. Right now, how many are you producing? Uh, right now, so far, we, uh, we produced uh, more than 700 buses um, here in the U.S. in this factory. Uh, how long has this factory been here? Uh, we actually uh, opened this shop since 2013. So uh, we expanded for four times. Right now, this entire facility is 50, uh, 550,000 square foot. Was it difficult to open this this factory in terms of paperwork, in terms of finding skilled workers, in terms of communicating, hiring the local staff? Um, I think I think it's always a a, a process to go right. Um, you know, this is a what we consider as a high tech uh, factory because the products we are building here are. Um, our green technology based uh, zero emission buses. Okay. So, um, which is still a little bit of new technology for the market. So, um, we, we do have our training programs basically help all the new hires to get familiar with our product, get familiar with the production process and being trained. Um, How long does it take to, to build such a bus? Uh, so, normally it takes uh, 12 to 18 months. Um, after our entire specifications and design being confirmed. In this bus, for instance, what would be the new energy feature that you can point to now? Um, I, I, I think the most outstanding or the apparent uh, uh, new energy feature is this bus is a fully electric bus. So wh where are the batteries located? Uh, so the battery located is kind of in the rear uh, uh, portion of the bus and some okay. of them are on the top of the bus. Okay. And where do the batteries come from? So we have another uh, battery pack manufacturing plant called BYD Energy. They are about 10 minutes drive away from this location. So all so these transit buses are 100% made in America. Those buses are built from the scratch uh, from our welding station all the way to here. By American workers. By our locally hired American workers. So to the American market. Exactly. Okay. So that's how. A transit bus looks like before it's completed. Yeah. Is it custom made for American market? Uh, it is custom made. Uh, all of the projects are uh, have some sort of customization in there. In terms of the seats, the floor, and some of the camera system, yeah. a lot of the stuff are actually customer pointed or customer mm. preferred. What is the most specific American demand or Californian demand? Um, I think California wants zero emission buses. That's the answer. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's a good one. So obviously, this bus has no exhaust. Oh, of course. As you can see, this is zero emission battery electric buses. So mm. um, we probably won't find this thing in this yeah. bus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's probably going to be quieter too. Of course. Yeah. Shall we see a finished car? And of course, we have one in the front for you. California Republic. And yeah, that's, that's the, the California state flag. State flag. Mm -hmm. 
Wow, this looks different. It's like a little, um, like a little house. Yep. What's your competitiveness? Um, I think for BYD's competitiveness is always our battery technology. Okay. Uh, we were a battery manufacturer before we are a car manufacturers. So battery is in our DNA. Um, and I think that's the most important and the critical component or core uh, to the buses. So that is BYD's advantage from day one. Steve, I'm really curious. You know, there's this big documentary about how American workers find cultural shocks working for a Chinese factory in the United States. I've seen, I don't know whether you saw that documentary. Do you have similar problems here? I mean, cultural differences, so on and so forth? Um, I, I didn't see such an issue here in uh, our Lancaster factory. Um, I think everyone here, no matter what cultural background, everyone communicated quite well with, you know, uh, the rest of the teams in here. What are the advantages of American workers? They're very, uh, they work very hard and they appreciate the opportunity they got and they understand how meaningful this job uh, for their family, for their individual and for their future generation. Mm. So I think we've been, this group is very motivated to working here and we're very grateful to be here as well. Why did BYD choose to produce locally in California instead of uh, choosing somewhere else where the cost probably is lower? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's a bunch of different kind of reasons, right? Uh, take an example for public industry. There's indeed have some local pr uh, production requirements. Uh, and also uh, take California, for example. California is really a place to embrace the new technology. And the state is really looking forward to have the green technology um, uh, to, to throughout the entire state. Thank you very much, Steve, for showing me around. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Li Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Li Xin in Beijing. We've got The Point. Twenty-five hundred years ago, an old man rode on his buffalo and headed west of China. Before he vanished into the wild, he left behind a book of 5,000 words, which for the next two and a half millennia would have shaped the Chinese way of thinking. Subscribe to the sayings of Lao Tzu and find out why generals with wisdom yield after winning the ultimate battle and how staying behind just might help you get ahead of others. The sayings of Lao Tzu is available on all major podcast platforms.